From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, toric IOL positioning in small pupils and strategies for soft cataracts. The best way is to put in a toric lens the way you would do it and then use uh, the V-hooks, so-called, or iris-retracting hooks to just retract the iris a little bit. First this. 2015 marks two significant 10-year anniversaries. As Seen From Here shares its 10th birthday with iWorld Asia-Pacific. iWorld AP is the most important source of ophthalmic news for the Asia-Pacific region, with editions in Chinese, Korean, and English, and a circulation of more than 27,000. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast for more information from Kathy Chen and Graham Barrett about the significant milestone. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the APACRS annual meeting in Kuala Lumpur. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these videos in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today we hear from Vishali Vazavada on toric IOL positioning in the setting of small pupils and from Ronald Yeo on strategies for dealing with soft cataracts. I'm here with Vishali Vazavada. Vishali, you know, I, I, I love toric lenses. I think they're a wonderful thing. Um, I, I, and, you know, I, I, have, I have a lot of patients uh, who, for a variety of reasons, maybe from Surex Fuller, history of pilocarpine, or from tamsulosin or terzosin use, uh, wind up having pupils that are either small during surgery or start out large and, of course, come down. It's a problem with toric lenses because I, I need to see where the little indicators are on the optic to tell what the orientation of the, of the toric is. Now, I, I don't like these cases, but you seem to, to be able to handle them. What, what do I do? What do you do in those, those, those cases? I think uh, toric lenses, as we all know, are very useful for astigmatism. And uh, as we know, about 80% of our patients would have more than half a diopter of astigmatism. Now, unfortunately, small pupils comprise a large part of these. So for me, I think if the pupil was already small, I would not hesitate to putting in either a malugin ring or iris retractors to begin with. So that, that way I'm very sure where I'm putting my toric lens in. Even if I'm able to manage without those, maybe a 4 or a 5 millimeter pupil, I would do that. But I think more important is the fact when either there's an IFIS or when the pupil goes down during surgery. The best way is to put in a toric lens the way you would do it and then use uh, the V-hooks so-called or iris retracting hooks to just retract the iris a little bit and keep nudging the toric IOL with your irrigation probe. I like to do that because it maintains the anterior chamber, doesn't allow the pupil to come down and I still have a good visualization with uh, the bimanual IA in using the same irrigation and aspiration probes to kind of redial the lens in and then just use an iris retracting device to check the orientation. So this is uh, after you have removed the, the OVD from the eye? Yes, yes, absolutely. It is very crucial, particularly in small pupils, that we remove the, all the OVD from the eye before we actually go in with the final toric maneuvering. Right, because the, there's the, the 
possibility, not an, an infrequent possibility, uh, that you get a little bit of a rotation of the lens Absolutely. Uh, when, the, when the OVD yeah. is taken and out. And especially the, yeah. in on, these please. cases, you don't want to do it, keep doing it again and again. Right, so. right, right. I now, agree. You also spoke about employing torque lenses for, for children. Um, can I get you to, to talk about what the special concerns, what the difficulties are uh, for these patients? Uh, I think the biggest concern in children is judging the astigmatism. So for us, an indication is anyone who is five years and above a child, because by five years, most of the keratometric growth has happened. The corneal curvature is stabilized. So if the child is able to sit on a keratometer, either a manual or an automated one, that is a good indication for me. And we have a series of uh, more than 50 toric IOLs now in children, ranging from 5 to 12 years. And they, there is a huge benefit, not only in terms of uh, spectacle independence, but in combating amblyopia. So correcting their astigmatism in that amblyogenic age period is extremely crucial. So I think it is a great idea, particularly for children. Now, on that theme, we're, we're taught that people get a, a progressive shift towards flattening over time, is your target the um, to 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 some extent compensate for the progression in um, vertical flattening that you expect to see with the children, or in minimizing the postoperative cylinder for the children in this crucial embryogenic age? Well, Josh, uh, for us, I think uh, the protocol is to correct them at that point for their amblyopia. I mean, we do expect some change in astigmatism, but that could be dealt with later when the child grows up. It's much easier. I would rather correct most of their astigmatism. I would just undercorrect by maybe half a diopter and uh, correct all their astigmatism so that we can combat their amblyopia more effectively. Vishali, this is wonderful, wonderful stuff. So the next time that I'm sweating bullets with, uh, with a small pupil and a toric lens and I'm feeling miserable, I'll think of you. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. I'm here with Ron Yo. You know, Ron, I, 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 I dread, I, I shouldn't say dread, but I, I, I don't sleep well when I know that I have a patient coming in with a real coffee bean cataract and sneaked uh, down pupil, uh, pseudo exfold. These are the cases that we always talk about with um, uh, challenging cataracts. Let me tell you the sort of patient that I, I sleep just a tiny bit better about, but I'm still worried. And these are the patients with really soft cataracts. Sometimes the soft ones are the hardest ones. Now, you spoke about this. Can I get you to sort of flesh this out for me? Yeah, indeed, Josh. As, I, as we talked about earlier, the soft ones people tend to take for granted, but they're not because the difficulty with softer cataracts is that it's harder to push against them to rotate and it's harder to crack them. So if you try to do that without modifying your technique, quite a lot of times the inexperienced surgeon would, would, would run to trouble. And sometimes these are the ones who come to you for near clear lens extractions when really the stakes are much higher and you cannot afford to screw up um, with, with these soft ones. So what I do with these soft ones is basically the secret is to do good hydro delamination. And if you free the nucleus up with a golden ring, you can just lollipop out the whole nucleus. That's one technique I use. So another newer technique that I use is to pre-chop these. Now, for many years, Dr. Akahoshi taught us how to do femto pre-chop, and he pre-chops every nucleus from the very soft to the very dense. But for the very soft ones, it is particularly useful because you put the pre-chopper in, you can split it into half and then into quarters very, very easily. And I'm a big fan of pre-chopping these soft cataracts. 
The third technique I would use is today with the advent of femtosecond laser technology, you can use the uh, grid or matrix pattern on these softish nuclei, which makes them into a little mush that you can just aspirate without even having to resort to uh, a chopping, etc. You know, Ron, sometimes you will, 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 will be in a case and we have you know, a, a, a nice groove and what looks like a nice crack, although sometimes with these soft lenses, it's very, very hard telling Indeed. if the cracks through, through and through. And, you know, we, 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 we spin the lens, we try to deal with the first hemi nucleus, and you wind up eating up anything that's going to be potential purchase. And now you have this really, really thick uh, floor and a thick shell and not a lot to grab onto. What do you do in those cases? Well, I think the first thing is you've got to recognize that you're in trouble. And when you do the secret to the next step is to do a little bit more hydro dissection and failing which you can do a bit of visco dissection. And if you do that, you quite often you will kind of shell, shell out the epinuclear plate or bowl that you've left behind. And then it's easy once you've freed it. Yeah, and I find too that if you uh, if you have a, a, a chopper that's that, that's not sharp or an instrument with uh, with an elbow to it, sometimes you you can really from the start of the uh, case slide that underneath the hemi nucleus and just physically lift it up. These are soft lenses; you're not going to be putting stresses Indeed. on the on the doing this. Indeed, so, Ron, I, I I I will sleep. I'll tell you only marginally better uh, <laughs> with, with 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 these with these tips. I I, I will I instead look at referring all of these patients to you because you don't seem to sweat this. Ron, thank you very much for you, being so, so generous with your time with thank us today. You. Vaishali Vazavada is consultant ophthalmologist at the Ragudeep Eye Hospital in Ahmedabad and Jaipur, India. Ronald Yeo is the medical director of eye and retina surgeons in Camden Medical Center in Singapore. iWorld AP is more than just a regional version of iWorld. With commentary from ophthalmologists in the Asia-Pacific region and with a circulation of more than 27,000, iWorld AP is the most important source of ophthalmic news for an enormous number of ophthalmologists over the most populous areas of the planet. I spoke with Chief Medical Editor Graham Barrett and Executive Editor Kathy Chen about this landmark 10th anniversary. I want to congratulate you on 10 years of iWorld Asia Pacific. Can I get you just to tell the audience what iWorld AP is and, and what its breadth is? So this began as a joint venture 10 years ago uh, with the parent organization. And the concept was to have an Asia Pacific edition of the magazine. It's not simply a reissue of the uh, parent magazine, which is a monthly, it's a quarterly, but uh, in advance I look at the uh, editorial material that's due to be published for the next few months and extract what I think are the most interesting and relevant to the Asia-Pacific region. We then add uh, Asia-Pacific um, comment on those articles as well as um, occasionally original material which arises from the Asia Pacific edition and there's a two-way cross uh, of information because we do have some of our own uh, original articles that find their way to the parent organization. What's really exciting about um, our world Asia Pacific is that unlike uh, in other parts of the world like the US and Australia where we have a profusion of publications and your desk is full of various publications. Often this is the major source of uh, information, education that gets to people in countries like China and elsewhere. <coughs> it's also unique in that the Asia Pacific edition has regional sub-editions in China 
uh, India and Korea and is translated into Chinese. So almost 10,000 um, Chinese editions are circulated and in total we have about 27,000 uh, editions of Our World Age Pacific um, every quarter which I think probably surpasses the number of uh, editions of the uh, parent um, uh, magazine. So uh, it's received a great enthusiasm uh, around the region. Uh, we have you know, lots of positive feedback um, about it, and it's been a very, very successful uh, joint um, venture. Kathy, can you talk about what the circulation is for the different markets. How large is iWorld AP within each of these markets? Okay, we have in total 27,000 copies, as uh, Graham has said, and we have four editions. So we have Asia Pacific, China, India, and Korea. And uh, for China, we have uh, over 9,000 copies. And uh, for India, we have 13,000 copies. And we have also have Korea, which is about 3,000 copies. So in total, we have 27,000 copies. In China, we translated uh, translated into Chinese, and for Korea, is in Korean language. Really? But for India, is in English, because most of the Indian um, ophthalmologists speak English and read English. One of the things that the Chinese and Korean editions serve as is also as a medium for um, their parent organizations because we work with the Chinese medical associations and Korean societies of carrier refractive surgery they can use the publication to um, send information to their members as well so uh, the different Chinese Korean editions have their own regional editors as well and um, these things are done in association with the official uh, societies sometimes uh, it's a Chinese ophthalmological society, sometimes it's a Korean society of cataract and refractive surgeons. So it's not your typical commercial publication in a sense, but the distribution, the support is all uh, something that's coordinated with the uh, local ophthalmological or cataract and refractive societies in those countries. Graham, Kathy, this is really wonderful. You guys are to be congratulated on, on such a, a wonderful, wonderful venture, uh, reaching uh, such a, a broad swath of ophthalmologists in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, Kathy, wonderful stuff. Thank you. Uh, Graham, really, really super. Thank you, Josh. Ask questions of Dr. Vazavada, Dr. Yo, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.